Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back from vacation on the Screening Room Podcast, I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we're from MadWolf.com. And yeah, we took the week off of the podcast last week. Hit Florida for a little uh, R&R. Thanks to the writers. We have other writers at MadWolf.com that provided some written reviews. But yeah, we were off one week for the podcast, but we're back now. It's a good week, too, because we have a couple of decent major releases this week. And then some others that are in a limited release that we'll talk about. But let's start right at the top. It's the true story of the 1973 tennis match between world number one Billie Jean King and an ex-champ and serial hustler Bobby Riggs. It's Battle of the Sexes. Hello? Eureka, Billie Jean! It's Bobby Riggs. I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy leg feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. Don't hang up. And by the way, I shaved my legs. Billie Jean King, already a champion of women's rights, is now the most successful female player of all time. I am not saying that women don't belong on the court. Who would pick up the balls otherwise? Keep talking, Bobby. The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's going to be when you lose. I'm going to be the best. That way I can really change things. I think this actual event was a little before your time, was, was it not? I it remember they, they actually had it the day before my ninth birthday oh. in 1973, September 20th in 1973. And I remember it very well because we had a subscription to Sports Illustrated in the house, and they had a lot of coverage of it, and you'd see it on TV. And at the time, I really wasn't quite sure. I knew who, Bob, or I knew who Billie Jean King was. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know who Bobby Riggs was because he had been a, a champion so long ago. Uh, and I, I couldn't really get a handle on, was this a put-on? Was right. he really such a male chauvinist pig as he was claiming to be or what? But uh, I, I remember watching it, and, of course, she she whipped up on him pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's one of the things that they really get right in this movie because they present the spectacle that it certainly was. I mean, over 90 million people watched it on TV. It just was one of those events that... It became a watershed moment. You didn't know it was going to at the time, but it really, at the time, it just captured the nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they present that well, but they also get behind the personalities, and I think that's what drives the movie. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, the performances don't hurt, right? Steve Carell plays Bobby Riggs. He's great. He is. You know, and it's not just because he already has that sort of goofy showmanship kind of thing about him, but he does a really nice job in the private moments when Bobby Riggs is by himself. He's sitting in the car that he won gambling, which means he's not with his wife, and I think he does a really good job with those, uh, and I think he has proven to be a very capable actor. He really has. They both act also look the part. Number Emma Stone one, is great. I Emma, mean, that's the Emma thing. Emma Stone as Billie Jean King is great. They're both almost exactly the right ages. Right. Uh, Bobby Riggs was 55 at the time. Steve Carell is 55. Uh, Billie Jean King was 29, Emma Stone is 28, and I guess she'll be 29 here in a couple of months. So, yeah, they got that right. Uh, The look is right. They give Steve Carell some fake teeth Mm -hmm. that that are more reminiscent of Bobby Riggs's. The hair is right. And, uh, yeah, he's got the the outward swagger down. The the born huckster. You know, the guy who's a constant gambler, and he just... He he misses the spotlight. You know he was yeah. he was a champion so long ago, and now tennis is getting more of a of a national spotlight, and he misses it. So it, it's pretty clear that in those quieter moments that you talk about, uh, Carell is able to convey that he kind of is still looking for a purpose. Right. You know. Yes, absolutely. It, He's very much a lost soul in yes. this. You know, Emma Stone once again 
does just a magnificent job. She yeah. just always does. She, she just really. really, really always does. And she looks so much like her in this. And one <laughs> of the things, when I was a little kid, what I remember is that I hated Billie Jean King's hair. Like, I just, I don't know why that's, there are some Dorothy Hamill, I hated Dorothy Hamill's hair, yeah. like, all of the hippest hairstyles yeah. when I was very, very, like, looking back on those, why would anybody <laughs> think that was good? But it's interesting because her hairstyle was apparently quite a big deal at the time, and and so it's actually the hairdresser, it's like they make, they, they make a, a lovely and I think appropriate, time-appropriate point about her hair, and then, of course, about what it what it led to, and, and as you said in your review, you know, the film really looks at everything through the eyes of Billie Jean King yeah. and and you get a sense of all that she is dealing with and carrying on her shoulders because not only are her decisions basically determining the future of women's tennis. Right. Right. But at the same time, what what well, she's put herself in a position to be the face of women's tennis and the success of of this sport as a, you know a viable industry for these athletes and at the same time she's realizing that she's a lesbian and and shouldn't she be able to embrace that and come out with it but no because that would more or less end everything that she's doing to benefit her sport so it's really and it's it's never preachy it's never heavy handed right. even when they show those people who are in support of the idea of the male chauvinist pig they don't mock them they don't you don't feel like comeuppances do. It's they're, It's a very well put together film. Yeah, um, and those inner conflicts with Billie Jean King drive the movie and the reason why they were right to funnel really the soul of the movie through her because the directors, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, uh, you may know them from Little Miss Sunshine. Mm -hmm. They also did uh, Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks. Yeah, they, they handle that very well. And they also get a nice assist from an Oscar-winning screenwriter, Simon Beaufoy, who won for Slumdog Millionaire, but actually we like his script 127 for hours. 127 hours mm -hmm. even better. But here, you're right, they, they treat it very well, not preachy. And I think what, what they also do, because, because as you said, Billie Jean King is, has to balance her desire to push the women's game forward and as much on par with the men's game as she possibly can have right, it. Right, right. She wants it equal, of yeah. course, equal prize money, but she's just trying to get close and then her own conflict of her own identity as she has this growing attraction to the tour hairdresser. you got both things going on mm -hmm. when this match comes up. So, yeah, I think that is, is really well communicated. And it also, I think it really gives props to what kind of, really, hero Billie Jean King was. Yeah. I think sometimes she gets short shrift. I mean, she was an iconic figure. And if you look back, not only was she a great athlete, but, man, what a a uh, catalyst for change and for social for justice. Social, yeah, she she has had an incredible, not only sports career, but a a, a social, uh, popular culture career. Activist. And I think yeah. this movie will help re-cement that idea with either people that didn't realize it or people that, that have forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. Because she is a major figure that deserves a big salute for for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and this movie communicates that as well. And also, it, it can't go... Without saying that uh, they get all the period details right. Sure. They do that, especially with some nice video editing between, like they have uh, some old video of Howard Cosell, yes. who, who did the commentating, mixed in with some of the actors playing the other tennis players. And it's very well done. And the actual tennis. Yeah. When they get down to playing the actual match... Uh, they have a couple of nifty body doubles who do some really nice work, and yeah. it's really hard to tell 
You know, and so often, even in a really well put together, really well film, if it's about sports and the actual athletic part of the film doesn't doesn't hold water, right. it wrecks the whole movie. Yeah, and I guess Steve Carell had played some tennis, but Emma Stone, absolutely none. So <laughs> it was going to be tough. Uh, and, and you got these tennis players, these body doubles, who went back and tried to mimic the playing styles of Riggs and King and also had to really kind of relearn to use wooden rackets because uh-huh. that's what they used back in the day. But they get that right. So, yeah, I think it's very well done. Aside for, and I think we agree on this, there's a couple of um, side characters that, uh, that really don't come across as well that maybe come off a little flippant in what they're or doing. Or just one-dimensional. One-dimensional, and, yeah, yeah. Not as well fleshed out as they should have been. Yeah, that's about the only thing that kind of drags the film down. But all in all, I think it's a very well-made, well-done, well-told well-told story that's also really start to finish consistently entertaining. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and that's Battle of the Sexes. The other big release this week is Tom Cruise's new one. A pilot lands work for the CIA and as a drug runner in the South during the 1980s. It's American Made. Haven't you ever wanted something more, Barry? You should be serving your country. Your CIA. <sighs> we need you to deliver stuff for us. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys. You are an airline pilot, Barry. That's how you support this family. This is going to be good for us. Is this all legal? You trust me? No. This is another one of those incredible stories that you probably didn't know about. Right. A guy named Barry Seal uh, has quite a colorful resume. Uh, He was a TWA pilot in the late 1970s and then took a job with the CIA. And it started out as he all they wanted him to do was fly into some of these Central American countries and take aerial pictures of what they called enemies of democracy. Right. And he did such a good job of that, they started having him do other things. And one thing led to another. And before the whole thing culminates... He's got jobs uh, running guns, arming the Contras, working with uh, cocaine smuggling with Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel. I mean, he had a lot, a lot on his plate as he's trying to juggle all these different people that he's working for and really kind of keep his side hustles uh, quiet from everybody. And uh, uh, one of the biggest problems that he ended up having was where to put all his money. Yeah. The guy made, at least according to the movie, the guy had piles and bags of cash that he didn't have a place for. He'd bury them in the yard and put them in the barn, and they were just exploding from rooms of his house. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And and Tom Cruise is great in this movie. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Tom Cruise, but this he is does, a role that's it is. perfect for and, him. And he comes across these periodically where he's just playing that charming rogue character that you cannot help but kind of root for. Yep, yep. It's an anti-hero type of thing. But he is. He's he's so charming. And in this one, you know, fast talking that, yeah, he kind of draws you in, even though he's committing terrible crimes. Which is interesting because in a lot of ways it's reminiscent of uh, War Dogs from a couple of years ago and also the Wolf of Wall Street. Right. So you what you have is this sort of hard to wrap your brain around global crime that's being committed primarily by this one charming bad guy who you kind of like anyway and the and the and, and it's being told through that character's eyes so it, it's it's the same approach so in a way it's not judging this character it's kind of illuminating the the hard to understand aspects of this crime the the crime itself that we're familiar with we just don't know all the specifics of it and uh, and not really coming down one side or the other judgmentally but 
I think I think this one handles it better than War Dogs, which came across as really just cheerleading for, look what these guys did. Yeah, almost, yeah. And, of course, not nearly as well as Wolf of Wall Street, but who can make a movie like Scorsese? Yeah, it does live somewhere in the middle there. And I think uh, it's half of it is due to, as you say, the charisma of Tom Cruise and, and a really fine performance, but also the director, Doug Lyman, who uh, did just worked with Cruise on um, Edge of Tomorrow. Yep, and then which also, is one of the best Tom Cruise movies ever. Yeah, and, and then back in the day, he did a Swingers. And Go, and Go. which I love. Yeah, so he's got some good stuff on his resume. But one of the things he does here is he surrounds Cruise with enough lively pacing and enough style in presentation that it doesn't feel like your typical Cruise vanity project. Oh, not at all. And and like Battle of the Sexes, Lyman does a great job of capturing period detail. Yeah, he does. And also, because of that stylish presentation, that helps when... There's a lot to keep track of there here, is. and as they have to keep explaining, and you try to keep up, okay, who's this, and who's working for who, and who's double-crossing, it can really get bogged down, and I think if not for Lyman's work, it would have gotten even more bogged down than it ends up being. I think you're right. Um, I also just want to point out, as, as great as Cruz is, and he is great in this movie, I love Dom Hall Gleason. I love him in everything, and he's particularly good in this movie. Yeah, he plays the CIA boss that really hires uh, Cruz's character, Barry Seal, and brings him in. He is. He's very good in this, as he has to keep making contact with uh, the CIA boss, Gleason, and he'll just appear out of nowhere and just say a little something, we got a new job, and yeah, he's very interesting. And, but one of the things I really loved about that character is that then when you see him, uh, Gleason's character, in his work environment, he's just a cubicle dweller. He's a cog. Yeah. He's a nobody. Yeah. And, Trying uh, to one-up his next cubicle dweller. Right. Yeah. And, but at the same time, when he's alone with Cruz, as far as Tom Cruise, so Seal knows, he's, right. he's the head of the CIA. He doesn't exactly. know. You know? Exactly. He has no idea. And so when he's out yeah. in the field, he can be you know, mysterious and powerful, and, 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 and Gleason just does a fantastic job with yeah. it. Yeah, he does, and there's so there's a lot to like here. I think, for me, one of the biggest weaknesses similar is similar to War Dogs. It really doesn't. It, it could have said more. It could have dug deeper. Yes. It really stays very superficial a lot of the times. But but it has fun in that shallow end of the pool. It does. But it just for me, it it could have said more. It could have maybe taken more of a stand on on what this all meant and uh, and stays it doesn't does, doesn't dig as deep as I wish it would have but I, still I can't say it wasn't fun no it was but you know what I, in that same vein there are moments in the film that are should come across as being far more powerful than they than they do yes you know because obviously given what it was he was doing there were going to be moments of genuine terror right and darkness and because of the tone of the film they they I'm not going to say they make light of some of these moments, but they certainly they don't come across feeling as important as they ought to. Yeah, that's agreed. And that is American Made, Tom Cruise's latest in theaters this week and wide release. Couple to talk about in limited release. The first one is the latest starring Kirsten Dunst, and it's a woman falling deeper into paranoia after taking a deadly drug, and it's called Woodshock. So this is the feature debut of writers and directors and sisters, Kate and Laura Malivi, who are probably better known as fashion icons Rodart. Yeah, and it wasn't that many years ago that we saw Tom Ford make a brilliant entry uh, into filmmaking from the world of fashion with a single man. And then, of course, he went on to do Nocturnal Animals. So... That was a very successful transition from fashion to film. This one, not so much. No, it really isn't. So the the core story... Uh Teresa, which is Kirsten Dunn's character, she lives in a, a near a logging community in, in Northern California where marijuana is legal, assisted suicide is not. And she works at a dispensary, a, a weed dispensary, 
And at the same time, because so many of their customers are buying because they are suffering so terribly on the side every once in a while, she dabbles in assisted suicide. So that's a, it's an interesting enough story, but that's literally the whole story. <laughs> there are about nine. There's it, it looks fantastic. Uh, the you know, the the co-directors show tremendous uh, comfort with their camera. Obviously, they there's a lot of it's very hallucinogenic. It's yeah. very nightmarish. It's it's really quite lovely. It is so leaden paced. And, and but the main thing is. There is simply no story here. That's the thing. It has it shows a lot of promise with style. They've got the style down. The the storytelling substance uh, needs some work. And it's not simply that it's you and I talked about this and how Terrence Malick's films can be. Sometimes he has films that are a bit like this, where what little story there is, it's really just very episodic in nature. One of the reasons I think his films, and, and again, it's like comparing you to Scorsese. It's a completely unfair comparison, especially for somebody's first film, to Terrence Malick. But one of the reasons... Malick's films, even the ones that are so confounding in their lack of script, are, are, are work better than this is because when they do show you a scene that has, it, it doesn't end up feeling like a highlights reel. And that's what this does. He'll show you a scene and it might give you some context or some character development. This one, when they finally show you a scene, bam, it's very important. And yeah. then there's 20 minutes of zero happening and then bam, you know? Yeah. And it does. It winds up feeling like a highlights reel, which which just weakens the overall effect of the film. Yeah, so we were disappointed in Woodchuck. Another one in limited release this week is the story of teenage best friends who are involved in a gruesome accident that leads to a cover-up. And then the secret drives a wedge between them and propels them down a rabbit hole of escalating paranoia and violence. This one's called Super Dark Times. I love this, actually. Um, a matter of fact, even though it derails in Act 3 in a way that I was shocked by, I yeah. was really disappointed by, yeah. I still gave it three and a half stars. Because I was so enamored with so much about it, uh, mainly the performances uh, of the uh, you know adolescent cast very 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 realistic very authentic very believable really well done uh, a couple of boys two boys who are best friends who because of their age would you put them they're not driving yet so you put them at maybe 14 maybe 15 it's hard to tell are they dorks are they condemned forever to dorkdom <laughs> or are they just still at that awkward stage you know right. what i mean it's like that cusp you just it's hard to know um and and then what happens to them the, the people that they deal with, the way they behave, it's all very, very realistic. The other thing that I really thought was fascinating about this is that it's set somewhere in the middle to late 90s, which is interesting for a coming-of-age film in a high school set because really everything prior to that, very John Hughesy, right? It's all it's all the same, what they're facing, what they're dealing, going all the way back to like the 50s. And then later than that is... Social media is everywhere, and that's basically become the focus of coming-of-age films, you know, millennial coming-of-age films. You've got this weird little slice in between, which is about the same time that violence in high schools, particularly school shootings, things like that, that's really the when that came to become this crazy, I can't believe it's true presence in our high schools. And so that's really the era where this this is set. Although there isn't a school shooting, by the way, in this film. It just it just sort of minds that same kind of I can't believe this is really happening, but it's really happening. But they do it with so much authenticity and charm that it's it's hard not to like this movie. Yeah, so that's one you might want to check out if it's in your area. It is in limited release, super dark times. Moving on to the new ones out this week on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming home video, the whole bit. 
47 meters down. One that I think we both agreed was maybe a little better than it should have been. Exactly. Because it should have just been dumb as hell. And <laughs> yeah. it was, I guess, dumb as heck. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> I read I read a quote not long after it came out from a, an oceanographer or somebody in the know that said, if you are actually 47 meters down, the shark is the least of your problems. <laughs> So there's a lot there's a lot in the story that is, you know, you, you need to suspend disbelief here. It's Mandy Moore and her friend. They end up in a shark cage. They're doing this shark watching experience and they end up, of course, the, the chain breaks and they're down 47 meters down and they have to get back to the boat and there's sharks everywhere. So that's, you know, it's the latest premise that they were probably bound to come up with this sooner or later because we need more shark movies is what we need. Uh, yeah, and it's just it's just really it's not, of course, Sharknado, but, I mean, you you have to really roll your eyes and just kind of go with it. But I'll tell you what, I think we both agree on this. There is one shot, there is one shot, one scene in this movie that almost makes the whole thing worthwhile. Yes, I think we do. We both agree with that. <laughs> but, I mean, on the whole, uh, when they, it, you know, it does. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's dumb. Yeah, it and is it's, dumb. And it's, you know, but, the, and it's, but it's filmed quite well. It yeah. really is. And there are so many conveniences and contrivances to keep oh, them down. Oh, yes. You know, or, oh, is this really happening? It's, it's, it's dumb, but it's a fun dumb. It really es- is. Especially if we are both certified scuba divers. So if you do some diving, you will see some things like, oh, really? But they're not con- <laughs> they're not concerned with that. And you know what? And that's fine because you're right. It is fun. It's dumb, but it's fun. 47 meters down. A horror movie that's out this week, one that you liked called The Devil's Candy. Yes, because so this is the follow-up from Sean Byrne, a Tasmanian writer-director who did The Loved Ones. And if you've ever listened to our other podcast, Fright Club, you know I love The Loved Ones. Or if you've ever talked to Hope for five minutes... <laughs> You know that she loves the loved ones. Yes. So I was very excited about this movie, and it is very enjoyable. It's not as good as the loved ones. It's uh, it's a, a guy. He moves his family to this sort of out of the way farmhouse because he's an artist, and they can't afford where they're living in the city. And and uh, Ethan Embry is the dad, and he starts sort of giving into this sensation in his new house that's leading him to paint these dramatic and violent but but popular paintings uh and uh and but there's also this unusual man who keeps showing up who used to live there and it turns into kind of a police procedural when it doesn't work but when it does work it's effective it's well acted Mm -hmm. and it's creepy yeah the devil's candy and another one out uh the big one out i guess on streaming and home video this week is transformers the last night you know these movies have their audience and god bless you we can't stand them. So no. I guess that's all we need to say about that. Uh, if you like it, uh, you're going to see it. So enjoy. Next week, oh, <laughs> looking forward to this one. Already getting some great buzz for some of the few that have seen it really early. We're going to see it here in a couple of days. Blade Runner 2049. Can't be more excited. Dennis Villeneuve. You've got Harrison Ford back. Ryan Gosling. The whole thing. Can't wait for that. And also... Not quite as excited about seeing The Mountain Between Us. It's one of those movies that, on the you know surface level, so it's Idris Elba, it's Kate Winslet. That's great news, yeah. but it just looks like Oscar bait all over the it place. It looks like it's so emotionally manipulative that uh, we're not going to care for it. But we keep an open mind. And we we're hope. going to go. And we're going to go. And we hope that it'll prove us wrong. So let us know what you think about any of the new movies, Battle of the Sexes, American Made, anything else you've seen. Keep the conversation going on Twitter the easiest way. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L. 
KLF. Also, as uh, Hope mentioned, if you uh, really tend toward horror movies, you got to check out our other podcast, which is Fright Club. And you can find that either on Apple Podcasts, all the usual places, or on our main website, which is madwolf.com, where you can find all the written reviews of these movies and some other fun. So we look forward to hearing from you. And until the next time, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.